Welcome to Pure Nonfiction, the podcast covering documentary film. I'm Tom Powers, the artistic director of Doc NYC. The eighth annual festival is coming up November 9th to 16th in New York City. It's become America's largest documentary festival with over 250 films and events. That's a lot to absorb. So on this episode, I'm joined by two colleagues from Doc NYC to help guide you through the selection. Even if you won't be in New York, you can still experience the festival from afar on its website and YouTube page. We're going to share our discoveries of films across many genres, politics, music, true crime, biography, and more. We're also going to talk about the Viewfinders competition, where festival goers can take in eight films chosen for their distinct directorial visions. We have a bounty of film clips to share. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be able to sing with some of the greats. This is your moment. This is your moment. And to hear their stories and to be able to sing along with them. This is so fun. I'm, this, I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. I'm an FAO Schwartz. <laughs> That's a bit from Streetlight Harmonies about doo-wop singers, old and new. Streetlight Harmonies is making its world premiere at Doc NYC on November 14th. Many of the singers will be in attendance from groups like the Crystals, the Drifters, the Chantels, and more. That's a reminder that the festival doesn't only show films, it also brings out hundreds of special guests. Many screenings have live Q&A sessions where you can see the filmmakers and film subjects in person. I'm going to name just a few notables who we're expecting. Susan Sarandon, an executive producer for the film Sufra, Journalist Dan Rather for the film Fail State. Shoe designer Steve Madden for the film Madman, the Steve Madden story. And model Pat Cleveland, who's interviewed in a film about the fashion illustrator Antonio Lopez. He says, I'm Antonio and I'm going to draw you, girl. And the way he talked was so cute and so sexy. Oh, my God. I immediately went up to him and gave him a hug. And he threw his arms around me. He says, how would you like to work with me? And he was, like, hugging me. And I said, oh, my God, I'm falling in love. (laughs) That's from Antonio Lopez, 1970, Sex, Fashion, and Disco, premiering on November 10th. It plays in the Metropolis competition devoted to New York stories. If you love music... Yitzhak Perlman will be in person for the film Yitzhak. We have an eclectic range of guitarists coming to the festival. Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth is coming for the film Hello, Hello, Hello. Jazz master Bill Frizzell will attend for Bill Frizzell, A Portrait. And Eric Clapton is coming for our closing night film on November 16th called Eric Clapton, Life in 12 Bars that tells the stories behind his music. If you want to see leading filmmakers, look to the section called Shortlist, where we pick 15 of the year's most celebrated documentaries. Several of these directors have previously been on Pure Nonfiction, including Laura Poitras, the Oscar-winning director of Citizen Four. She returns to Doc NYC 
with her film about Julian Assange called Risk. Agnes Varda, who was on our last episode, is coming with her film Faces Places. And Errol Morris has two films at Doc NYC. His film The B-Side, Elsa Dorfman's Portrait Photography, plays in the shortlist section, and his new four-and-a-half-hour epic called Wormwood plays as a special event. Wormwood investigates the death of CIA agent Frank Olson. What were you told at the time of your father's death? I was told that your father has had an accident. But that was the cover story told by the CIA. In Wormwood, Errol Morris interviews Frank Olson's son, Eric, who spent a lifetime trying to learn what happened to his father. Morris pushes the boundaries of documentary by combining interviews with performances by actors. Peter Sarsgaard plays Frank Olson, who died in 1953. Doc NYC will show the New York City premiere playing the entire four and a half hours with an intermission on November 10th. So we have a lot to talk about. In mid-October, I sat down with Rafaela Nehausen and Basil Siokos at the School of Visual Arts, where I teach in the MFA Social Documentary Program. My first guest is DocNYC Executive Director and Co-Founder Rafaela Nehausen. She is also a co-founder of the Split Screens TV Festival at IFC Center and the Montclair Film Festival in New Jersey. She produced the documentaries Miss Gulag about a Siberian women's prison and their annual beauty pageant and the Oscar-nominated short Joe's Violin. She's also the executive producer of this podcast and my wife, Rafaela, welcome to this side of the microphone. Thank you for having me, Tom. Very excited. Our second guest is Basil Tsiokos. He is Doc NYC's Director of Programming, now in his fifth year at the festival. He has other jobs as Film Program Director for the Nantucket Film Festival. And for 12 years, he's been the Documentary Programming Associate for the Sundance Film Festival. He was previously Director of New Fest, New York's LGBT Festival. Basil, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. So, Raphael and Basil, what a difference a year makes. This year's festival starts on November 9th, the one-year anniversary from when America woke up to realize that Donald Trump was president. I think any thought that any of us might have had that we could go gently into the night, uh, that thought has been vanquished. So we're in this for the long, long haul. Our opening night film is Greg Barker's The Final Year that covers President Obama's last year in office. This film is going to be released in January by Magnolia Pictures and HBO. Basil, you oversee hundreds of submissions to Doc NYC. Was the political backdrop standing out to you this year? Absolutely. I mean, there were films that just tacked on endings that had to address a new reality. Um, But there were other films that were clearly long in the works that uh, dealt with larger issues uh, internationally that Trump and and all of that is uh, just reflective of. This year, we have a new section that uh, speaks to that called New World Order. Uh, And one film that I'd point out there that I think is really quite telling is a film called Eurotrump which is about Gert Wilders, who uh, is a very controversial figure in the Netherlands. He's known as the Dutch Donald Trump. 
I try to, to not um, spread around lies or, or non-truth uh, kind of things. But hey, I'm a politician, so I always, most of the time, spread political opinions. And for some people, it's the truth, and for people, it's disgusting. So that's, that's politics. We also have a film called uh, Sky and Ground, which is about the refugee crisis following a family from Syria as they try to seek asylum in Berlin. So these larger issues are certainly part of the conversation. So those are six films in this section that you created called New World's Order. Then there's another section called Fight the Power that uh, reflects so many films that we are always seeing about different kinds of activism. Can you talk about some of the films in Fight the Power? Sure. Uh, This section uh, covers the gamut from the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, There's a film by Sonia San uh, called Baltimore Rising, where the filmmaker, who uh, many will know as one of the actresses on the the HBO series The Wire, uh, returns to Baltimore in the aftermath of the Freddie Gray murder. The first time I heard about Freddie Gray was on TV. I was downtown. I was working at the Marriott Waterfront. And my white coworker, I remember her saying, oh my gosh, has anybody been hurt? Has anybody been injured? And I remember saying to her, yes, yeah, somebody been hurt, somebody been injured, somebody died, and that's what this is about. And she was saying, no, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the police. I mean, something at that moment, like, snapped inside of me, and, and, and it was just like, I can't do this. Like, I can't just sit on the sidelines. I'm, this is a part of me. There's also films that are dealing with everything from uh, the fracking debate to the fight for uh, paid family leave in a film called Zero Weeks. But, of course, not all the films are about politics. Uh, There are lots of different thematic sections. Music is always a big one in our sonic cinema section. Uh, Raphael, there was a film that came to us very late in the program called David Bowie, The Last Five Years. What is that one about? Well, I mean, I think I speak for probably many New Yorkers and many people around the planet that I still don't believe David Bowie is dead. He was such a pivotal person in all of our lives. And, you know, this film, it's a wonderful opportunity to really spend the last five years of David Bowie's creative process with him on screen. Something happened on the day he died. Spirit rose a meter and stepped aside. Somebody else took his place and bravely cried. Director Francis Waitley, what he does in this film is he essentially follows David Bowie over his final years through the production of Black Star and its predecessor, The Next Day, as well as his stage musical, Lazarus. So for any David Bowie fan in the city, this is a screening they really ought to get to. Just go with me. I'm a take you So that is David Bowie, The Last Five Years. It's playing at the festival on Friday, November 10th. Uh, there's another film in our Sonic Cinema section that I really enjoyed. It's called The Beatles, Hippies, and Hell's Angels <laughs> Inside the Crazy World of Apple. Uh, so this is a film about the the, the company that the Beatles started, uh, full of uh, utopian fervor. What is Apple, John? It's a... Uh... It's a company we're setting up which involves records, films, electronics, which make records and films work, and uh, what's it called, manufacturing? Yeah, just trying to mix business with enjoyment. 
didn't always go as planned, but the film has terrific interviews with people who were eyewitnesses at that time. It has some delightful animation to uh, to kind of recreate things that uh, that weren't captured on film. And uh, I think any Beatles fan will enjoy this, The Beatles, Hippies, and Hell's Angels. What does it all mean? <laughs> I don't know what it meant. It was a dream. It was whatever you want. We've got, as I said, 23 films making world premieres at the festival. Basil, pick out one for us to talk about. One that I was very uh, surprised by because I'd heard nothing about this uh, is a film called Father's Kingdom. Uh, This is a film about a person uh, named Father Divine. Uh, He was an African-American spiritual leader uh, before the turn of the century uh, who amassed more than a million followers around the world. Uh, He claimed he was God. Uh, So it's it's crazy that this story isn't really hasn't really been out there uh, in the popular consciousness uh, very much in recent times. Uh, And this is a really fascinating look at this uh, very controversial figure. The FBI investigated. For them, the preaching of racial equality was in some way seditious. It was questioning the nature of the American system. Father Divine was the most important figure addressing civil rights between Marcus Garvey and Martin Luther King. But He is called God. Father has been neglected by historians because of the religious claims. They don't want what they might call cult leader having such an impact. Rafaela, tell us about the film called Repeat Attenders. Well, this is another really fun world premiere. It's a quirky film, and for anyone who loves the theater, uh, this could be a film for you. This film follows super fans, people who are obsessed with Cats, with Les Mis, with Starlight Express. And this film really follows their obsession and the belonging they get from these various musicals. I totally understand the wicked devotees. We got a letter from a Muslim girl who, after 9-11, had barely been out of her house. Her girlfriends made her go to Wicked, and she wrote a letter to the producers saying, this is the first time I have felt safe in two years. This, this, this was, I feel welcome in your theater because you understand. I feel welcome. I mean, that's how strong that message was, the ultimate outsider story. So that film plays in our center stage section, uh, which covers different films about the performing arts. Uh, So the world premiere that I'll pick is from Barbara Koppel, the two-time Academy Award-winning filmmaker uh, who's been to our festival many times before. Her new film is called A Murder in Mansfield. It plays in our true crime section. This film has its seed in a murder that took place in Mansfield, Ohio in 1989. A 12-year-old boy named Collier was a kind of witness to his father killing his mother. Horrible crime. But Collier testified in court. It's a videotape testimony we see in the film incredibly bravely. He had a great love for his mother and he brought that into his testimony. Did there come a time that you got up next morning and looked for your mother? 
Yes, it was around 8.30 in the morning. And I got up and I ran immediately to my mother's room. And I noticed the covers were pulled back like a body had been taken out. It's not the normal way my mother would get out of bed. And so I went downstairs and I said, where's my mother? To my father. And he said, well, mommy took a little vacation, Collier. And then I just, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I just panicked. And now, uh, you know, over 25 years later, he's still grappling with this as an adult. In the film, we watch him go to prison to confront his father, who has always remained in denial of this crime. I've been waiting a long time to do this. One of the things I've always been interested in my life about, ever since you murdered my mother, is the collateral damage of violence. How all this, you know, because of the size of the case, the gravity of it was so intense that it wrapped up so many people. And I certainly wasn't aware of that when I came back. And I'm pretty sure you're not. So this is a discussion to hopefully let you understand what has been going on and to talk about some really, you know, some details about what has happened. Barbara Koppel, as she always does, tells the story with tremendous compassion. That film is called A Murder in Mansfield. All right, we could talk about lots of films individually, and we will talk about some more. But I want to take a step back right now and ask how each of you got into documentary festivals. Raphael, let me start with you. Sure. So when I was after college, I took a job. I was a management consultant in Toronto, and I always, always, always loved the cinema, especially documentaries. And I would actually take time off of my real job to attend hot docs. Um, I think I started doing that in 2000 or maybe 2001. And I so hot docs is the the big documentary festival in Toronto. Uh, it has a huge lineup covering documentaries from all over the world and also has an industry component of uh, of panels and conversations. Correct, correct. So I would just immerse myself in documentaries. I'd go to that festival and along the way I ended up making a film. Uh, Miss Gulag was my first film that I made, which is actually, Tom, where you and I met in Berlin. And from there on out, I was just deeply... We, we should just get this out here. We met at the Berlin Film Festival. We have our, we have a love story that began at a film festival. Yes, we are we are truly a film festival <laughs> family. And Basil, we're not trying to make you feel awkward oh, at this part of no the interview, worries. but th- this is all true. So yeah, so I'd say it was really from a very, from an early part of my professional career that I started going to film festivals and just really fell in love with it. So coming to a film festival, it's not only about seeing films, you could meet your future spouse. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Basil, I actually don't know what your documentary origin story is. Uh, I know both of you came from being filmmakers first. Um, I actually came from an academic route. And so I, um, I actually was going to grad school and I decided to do some internships uh, at film festivals starting first in San Francisco and then uh, in New York when I came here for uh, grad school here. Uh, and I just happened to be 
in the right place at the right time, maybe the wrong time. Uh, and I went from being a intern to taking over the festival within two years. And that was NewFest, the New York LGBT Film Festival, where I was for 12 years. Um, during that time, I saw tons of documentaries and, of course, tons of features on LGBT subjects. But I found myself getting a little bored after a while doing anything for 12 years. And I realized that uh, documentaries were really where I was most interested. And I started to uh, transition away from the being known as the LGBT film person and being known as the doc film person. And so uh, I started basically just focusing on that route. Uh, Sundance came along around the same time, too. So that certainly helped. Um, and uh, that's how I got into documentary programming. And at one point, you were doing a series of uh, blog entries or tweets um, that uh, – explain what that was. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was also part of my calculated plan to rebrand myself. Uh, and this was – so I have, a, I have a blog that I still force myself to do every day called uh, What Not to Doc. Uh, and so I started doing these, these uh, blog posts uh, as well as tweets uh, that were headed by Dear Documentary Filmmakers. Uh, and what these were about, as I'm sure you absolutely uh, can attest to, uh, we see a lot of the same kinds of tropes, the same kinds of uh, uh, filmmaking techniques um, when we're watching hundreds and hundreds of submissions. And after a while, you just kind of get sick of them. And so this was my way of venting a little bit. I never named any particular filmmaker or films, but I would just complain about things that were driving me crazy. And they seem to resonate quite a bit with uh, other film festival programmers as well as filmmakers. Um, and so uh, it kind of took off from there. And uh, and I kind of just devoted a bit of time to it until I sort of ran out of gripes, which is which says quite a bit about how much I wrote. Um, well, these days, your blog, What Not to Doc, it, I find it uh, much more a place to get great recommendations for uh, what's happening at other film festivals, what's coming out uh, every week in documentaries. Uh, so yeah, it's a great, uh, great resource. Where do people find it? Uh, it's whatnottodoc.com. And Tom, I know you're used to interviewing everybody, but since we're here, why don't you tell us what brought you to the festival world? Uh, good question. Um, so I spent 10 years making documentaries uh, for HBO and PBS and, uh, and other places. And to me, when I was making those films, my favorite part of making the film was showing it to an audience at the end. And because all my films were for TV, I'd really only get one chance. One night, I would gather all my friends in a theater uh, to show the film. And that kind of made the two years or however long it's, it took to make that documentary worthwhile. So after 10 years of doing this, I was looking to kind of change what I'd been doing with documentary film. And I thought hard about what it was that I liked about it. And uh, and the thing that I liked most was creating that opportunity for an audience to, to see a film. So that was in 2005. The IFC Center had just opened. I approached the manager, John Vanko, and asked him if I could have take one night a week to show a documentary followed by a conversation with filmmakers and he gave me the green light to do that, and it's a series called Stranger Than Fiction that's now been going for uh, 12 years. Uh, the year after that, I got a job at the Toronto International Film Festival programming its documentaries. And then around 2008, John Vanko came to you and me, Rafaela, and said, I think we should start a documentary festival in New York, uh, to which my reply was, no, I'm too busy. I can't uh, – I don't have time for that. Uh, and uh, – but 
uh, he convinced us and um, we put together the plan in 2008. Then the financial crash happened and we decided this wasn't a good year to be starting a documentary film festival. And we put it on ice and then a year later we got it underway for the first festival in 2010. That's how it happened. And also, as we think back, Tom, the crazy thing is that the festival got greenlit when we had a two-week-old baby. Sure. So our like real child is the exact same age as Doc and YC. We've kind of had these two children at once. That's right. You know, and we have a film in this year's festival called Zero Weeks, which is all about uh, parental leave or uh, the, the 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 lack of uh, parental leave. In, parental paid leave. Yeah. yeah parental paid leave in. Um, in American jobs and, uh, well, we know that acutely. Yeah, we sure do. And actually, that film I wanted to flag, it's by a Doc NYC alum, Kai Dickens, who was here previously with the film Soul Survivor. And one of the things that makes me really excited about our festival being in its eighth year is we do have a lot of repeat filmmakers coming back. So it's just such a special feeling to see people show their first film and then their second film and sometimes their third film. I'm not even sure how many films of Barbara's we've shown over the last eight years, but that's... She's that's, a repeat attender. She, Some, she is. Someday there will be a documentary about these people who keep coming back to Doc NYC. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so for people who are listening and have never been to Doc NYC, let's give them some basic uh, user tips. Um, Rafael, I've never been to Doc NYC how do I approach this festival? Sure. So, I mean, I think the first step would be to go to the website, docnyc.net, and there's a ticketing page that really maps out all the different ways you can come to the festival. You can buy tickets online. You can get tickets at the box office. Several of our films very frequently go rush before the festival, but you shouldn't be deterred. There's often a limited number of tickets that get released to the rush line the day of the screening, 15 minutes beforehand. Uh, one new thing we're tr- we did this year to try to make it easier for people is that we introduced a 10-pack of tickets. So you can purchase a 10-pack, which would be cheaper than purchasing the films individually, and you can redeem it for the films online. With that 10-pack, you could either go see 10 films yourself, or you could use those tickets to bring other friends to films. Future spouses, dates, whatever you got. Yes, you can be very generous with your 10-pack. You know, another, if you really are a complete cinephile and just want to see as much as possible, we have the all-access pass. And that's really a perfect way to just binge on a lot of movies and pretty much like get in fast and check out everything at the festival. So most tickets are $19, which is still pretty cheap entertainment uh, compared to seeing live performances. Um, But if you're really cheap, uh, we have uh, some lower price tickets. There are $12 tickets for our weekday matinees, any film that starts before uh, 5 o'clock. And all the shortlist films, the the section that picks 15 films that we think are some of the most standout documentaries of the year, uh, those screenings are just $12. I would say another great point of entry to the festival is our Viewfinders competition. These are eight films that we've selected for their distinct directorial visions. It's an international mix of subject matter set in Palestine, Liberia, Congo, Denmark, and the U.S. And this year we've done something new with Viewfinders. We've scheduled the eight films in that competition across the first weekend of the festival 
to make it easier for people to see them all. So there's two on Friday evening, there's three on Saturday, and three on Sunday if you want to devote those days from November 10th to 12th just plunging into these these terrific documentary visions. Uh, And we created a viewfinder's pass so that you can save money and see them all. And you'll be seeing them with a jury, uh, which I think is, you know, a great experience. I I was on the Cannes jury this year, and you really start to think about the films differently when you're watching them alongside each other and you get a full range of what's happening in documentary film uh, today. And if you get that Viewfinders Pass, you can also join us for a coffee reception on November 11th when you can meet many of the filmmakers uh, and the festival programmers. Um, So let's each pick a film out of the Viewfinders section uh, to talk about. Uh, Basil, what's a film that you want to highlight? Uh, I'd love to talk about Mole Man, which is uh, having its world premiere at Doc NYC. Uh, This is a portrait of a 66-year-old autistic man who has spent his entire life building an unbelievable structure uh, in the backyard of his parents' home. This is uh, really fascinating. He doesn't actually use nails or any kind of adhesive or anything like that. Um, he ba- Much like our festival. Just like our festival. Just, <laughs> it's, uh, he, yeah, he has this ability to understand construction um, and based on weight, um, and it's really fascinating. They just put that diagnosis on him. My mom and dad weren't able to question anything about that. And to me, that didn't make sense. He's so capable of doing so many things. Ron's creativity is amazing, amazing. You see whites and beiges and pale colors all the time. Why do I keep seeing that? We want to see something bright. Every room a different color. The fact that he can go to someone's house, be in there just for a little bit, leave, go home, and draw a floor plan with windows and the way the doors swing is just something else. I saw a movie, Rain Man. I'm like, wow, that's Ron. That's my brother. What the film also does is it really explores um, uh, the reality that now that he's older, his parents, one of his parents has passed away, his mother's in her 90s, what will happen to him when she's gone um, and when she can't take care of him? So it's a a serious issue that, uh, you know, as we know, autistic uh, rates have skyrocketed and this is an issue facing lots and lots of families so uh, it has this it has this interesting lens by which to view this issue he's literally one of god's masterpieces why would you want him to conform when it's his non-conformity that makes him who he is so that film is mole man that's having its world premiere in the viewfinder section Rafaela, talk about a film in Viewfinders that stands out to you. One film that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since I saw it is The Stranger, uh, also by an alum of the festival, Nicole Haranyi, who won the Viewfinders competition in 2015 with her last film, Motley's Law. This film, it's even hard to explain. It's about, and Basil, maybe you'll help me explain it. It's about a young woman who's 25 years old. She's a single mother, and... Online, she meets a man who she completely ends up falling in love with. Um, He's heir to a fortune. He moves in. And long story short, nothing ends up being what it seems. Uh, the, The aspect of the film that's been so incredible for me to keep reflecting on is that the people are playing themselves as they remember all of these memories. So it's 
it's just such an inventive exploration of the form of documentary and really pushes the boundary of how we tell stories. It's a cautionary tale about meeting people online. This is another <laughs> endorsement for going to film festivals Absolutely. and meeting your romantic partners in person. Good so is, is DocuMyC going to have a dating app next year, Tom? Is this where this is all leading? Probably. I like that. It wouldn't be bad. Yeah. A lot of single people in New York who love movies. So that film is The Stranger that's having its U.S. premiere in the viewfinder section. Uh, now I'll pick one. I'm going to pick a film called Nela and the Uprising. This is by the director Julia Bacha, who previously made the award-winning film Budrus, uh, set in a Palestinian village about a nonviolent movement. In this new film, Nela and the Uprising, she's covering an earlier chapter of Palestinian resistance, the first intifada. This film looks at the hidden role that women played in that uprising. It has tremendous interviews and makes really inventive use of animation to evoke that period. Yeah, and Tom, uh, we'll remember also that this film has a history with Doc NYC. It was the winner of the Pitch Perfect competition last year where Julia pitched the uh, film to uh, industry to get advice on how to finish up the film. So the Pitch Perfect Day is part of our Doc NYC Pro conference uh, that we're going to be talking about on our next episode. So rounding out the viewfinder section, there are three films that uh, previously played at the Toronto International Film Festival, The Judge, Silas, and Love Means Zero. You can hear more about those films on our Pure Nonfiction episodes 53 and 54 uh, when we talked about their appearance at TIFF. Uh, and then a couple other films that have uh, prestigious festival history. There's the film Love, Cecil, which previously played at the Telluride Film Festival about Cecil Beaton, the extraordinary photographer and designer. Here's an archival clip from Love, Cecil of Diana Vreeland with Truman Capote talking about Cecil Beaton. From the beginning, I've known him all my life, his friend of a lifetime. He always wanted a very good life, and he realized there's only one very good life, and that's the life that you know you want and you make it yourself. That's what he's done, don't you think? Yes, well, he's a total self-creation. Mm, there are very few people in the world that are total self-creations, and he certainly is one. You see, what I like about Cecil, he's got a great deal of the outrageous cinema. He likes all the limits, doesn't he? Well, he certainly goes to extremes. Yes. He can be extremely kind or extremely rude. He can be uh, the rudest person I've ever known. Yes, and he picks his enemies beautifully, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. He knows what he's doing when he's doing those things. I wonder, though, really. I mean, he certainly gathers enemies like other people gather roses. That's <laughs> right. I'm not so sure that he picks them well. But he's very positive. He's not a negative person. He loves. It's very easy for him or to he love. he positively loves you or he positively hates you. And the eighth film in Viewfinders is called This Is Congo that had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival in August. This looks at several figures in Congo's fractious conflicts uh, and it has gorgeous cinematography. Uh, so – those are the eight films in the Viewfinder section. You can watch them all on the weekend of November 10th to 12th with a Viewfinder's Pass, or you can uh, just pick whatever one that you want to see. 
also important to note that Viewfinders is one of three competition sections we have at the festival. The other main section is Metropolis. These are feature documentaries that are about New York City and New York stories. And we also have a shorts competition. Winner of the shorts competition becomes Academy qualified without the traditional theatrical run. And winner of the Viewfinders and Metropolis competitions receive a prize package of deliverables from Technicolor Postworks New York and also a one-week run at the IFC Center. Basil, can you say a few words about the team that puts together this whole slate? Absolutely. It's impossible for one person to put this all together. Uh, so uh, I'm very fortunate to be able to work with uh, two associate programmers for features, uh, Ruth Samalo and Karen McMullen. And on the shorts side, uh, the shorts programming is done by Opal Hope Bennett, who has been our shorts programmer for the last several years. Uh, and this year, she's been joined by associate programmer for shorts, DeWitt Davis. So lots of different perspectives feeding into this lineup. Absolutely. So that's just a small sampling of our much larger festival. This year, we're at more than 250 films and events with more than 300 special guests. Basil, I have no idea how you and your team pull this off every year, but you do such an incredible job. For those listeners who aren't in New York City and want to check out our festival, please visit the website, docnyc.net. And also, I encourage you to check out our social media where we try to put up things as they happen, photos, videos, quotes, so at least you can get a sense of what's happening in New York between November 9th and 16th. Let's wrap this up with music from Streetlight Harmonies. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid No, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stay, you stay by me. So darling, darling, stand by me. I want to thank Raphael Nehausen, Basil Siokos, and the whole Doc NYC team for standing by me. A big thanks to Doc NYC's sponsors. Without them, the festival wouldn't be possible. The major sponsors are A&E Indie Films, Amazon Studios, HBO Documentary Films, History Films, and Netflix. The supporting sponsors are Discovery, Image Nation Abu Dhabi, National Geographic Documentary Films, and Showtime Documentary Films. The leading media sponsors are New York Magazine and WNET 13, New York Public Media. Doc NYC is produced by IFC Center, overseen by John Vanko and Harris Dew. On the next episode of Pure Nonfiction, we're going to talk about Doc NYC Pro, the conference for professionals spread across eight days with panels devoted to editing, cinematography, producing, financing, and more. After that episode, Pure Nonfiction will get back to interviewing documentary filmmakers. Thanks to our team, series producer, Sarah Modo, sound mixer, Tom Micah, web designer, Cross Strategy, and social media master, Jordan Smith. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams 
and our executive producer is Rafaela Nehausen. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at THOM Powers. Peer Nonfiction is distributed by the TIFF Podcast Network. You can read our show notes, learn about live events, and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.net. Stand by me. Yes, that's the take right there.